Good morning again, everyone. Power of the Spirit. Right there, some bass. Uh, I got dressed up for you this morning a little bit. I put this collared shirt on. Actually, it's because uh, Mom's here this morning. Got dressed up. Dave told me I better not mess this up uh, this morning. So, Mom, it's good to have you here. Happy Mother's Day again to uh, the moms in the room. Um, <clears throat> have, have you ever been convicted? My guess is is that every one of us in the room has been convicted at, at some point in our lives. And when I say convicted, I don't necessarily mean convicted of a crime, okay? <laughs> Although that may be the case. Uh, um, what I mean convicted is that something internally is pressing on our hearts about something that's wrong. I'll give you an example. Uh, this last winter, there's, a, there's an eight-year-old who is part of our family of faith here at Kettlebrook, and he was watching the news with his parents when it was polar vo- vortex. And I remember the polar, fun polar vo- vortex days where it was crazy below zero. And there was apparently some folks who in Chicago were homeless. There was a big tent village, and someone anonymously uh, paid for 70 of those people to spend a whole week in a hotel. And so this eight-year-old boy is hearing this story, and he's, he's convicted. And he says, Mom, we need to go, like, we need to drive down to Chicago now so we can help give these people some clothes. He tells his older brother, he says, hey, I know what I'm going to do. When I grow up, I'm going to work to serve homeless people all day long. And then at night, I'm going to work at McDonald's for, like, three hours to make enough money for me to live on. And then his older brother said, well, then you're going to probably be living in the tent uh, village yourself. But, you know, he's, he's thinking this thing through, and he's trying to figure out. He's, he says every time he's eating his dinner, he's convicted. He's like, I've got more than enough food. I, what do we do with this extra food that we have? And there's, there's something that he's convicted about, about injustice that he sees. or something that's wrong that's outside. And he wants to do something about it. Maybe some of you here in this room, I'm assuming all of you at some point have been convicted in that kind of way. There's also, however, another way to be convicted. It's not about injustice that we see outside. It's about injustice that we see in here. About uh, two months ago, I received a handwritten letter um, from a 10-year-old girl who lives in my house, one of my twins. I'm not going to tell you which one it is, but I want to read it to you. It goes like this. Dear Dad, I see that you get mad at me for every little thing. When you do this, I think it means I'm not meeting your expectations. Because of this, I feel sad and as if I'm disappointing you. So what I do as a reaction to this is start to resent you and stop talking to you. What I would like you to do different is say I still love you. My fears about this are I will grow up thinking I'm disappointing you. It will help our relationship by being more connected. I realize it can be hard sometimes with five kids. What I can do is talk to you about it. I appreciate you for taking care of me, and I look forward to being more connected. Thank you for listening. Love, your daughter. So I ask you again, have you ever been convicted? <laughs> right? As a father, I read this, I'm, con- I'm convicted by this. Right now, I'm, I'm proud of my daughter because we've been trying to train and equip our, our kids to have tools to communicate when they do want to communicate things that are maybe confrontational, uh, to make that happen in a way that's reconciliatory or a way that's redemptive. And so she's able to do that. But, but you read through this and you're like, darn, this is exposing reality. Okay, when our eight-year-old little brother, he, he sees what's going on out in the, in the homeless world, he's exposed to the reality of what's existing out there. And sometimes we can be convicted in a way that exposes the reality of what's going on in here as well where we are exposed. 
Now, a question that you may want to wrestle with is, where do those convictions come from? When we're convicted, where do those convictions come from? Is this moral conditioning or moral intuition? Is, this, is the convictions that we receive, is it part of natural selection and evolution? Dr. Philip Gorski is a sociologist at Yale. He writes extensively about this. And he, he talks about how there is a failure of the social sciences to develop a satisfactory theory of ethical life. In other words, he says, if you go down that road, rationally, those come to dead ends. Could it be that these convictions are not natural, but they're actually supernatural? Could it be that when we're convicted, it's because that there is actually a pure morality, a pure justice that is outside of us that comes from God himself? This is what Jesus believed. This is what Jesus himself believed. He believed that convictions come from God, and more specifically, from the Holy Spirit. This morning, we're in a series called uh, the, the Holy Spirit, right? And two weeks ago, Mike kicked off the series talking about how the Holy Spirit is a, as a deposit of the kingdom of God, is a guarantee of the kingdom of God, and is the power of the kingdom of God. And last week, Ryan talked about how we, trust in Jesus, are then empowered by the Spirit of God to live out our calling and commission in this world. This morning, I want to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in convicting us. And to do that, we're going to open the scriptures there, and I would encourage you to grab a Bible and turn to John chapter 16. So John chapter 16 is on page 750 in the story of God Bibles you have under your chairs. If you didn't bring a Bible, I would strongly encourage you to grab one of those and follow along with me as we read through uh, just verses 5 through 11. Now in John chapter 16, what we're going to find is one of the largest, it's the last large block of teaching that we find Jesus share with his disciples. He had just had uh, the Last Supper and washed his disciples' feet, and then he starts sharing, and he talks extensively about the Holy Spirit. So we're going to start in verse 5 and just read through um, verse 11 in John chapter 16. Let me pray, and then we'll read this. Lord, I ask that as we read these words that are from the mouth of your Son, you would give us ears to hear by your Spirit, that we would be convicted in ways that draw us near to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. John chapter 16, verse 5. These are the words of Jesus. Now, I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me where are you going. Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict world of guilt in, in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can no longer see me. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. This is God's word. So, let's start off here in verse 5. What we find, Jesus reveals to his disciples that he is leaving them. And that would have been fairly jolting to some extent. He's been kind of hinting towards this, but the idea of Jesus leaving would have not been something they would have done backflips about, right? Imagine you're hanging out with Jesus for three years, and all of a sudden he's like, I'm out, okay, I'm going to go. And then he, he doesn't just say he's out. He's like, but don't worry, it'll be better for you. So this will be good for you. It's kind of like imagine going to, you, to a five-year-old, hey, hey, um, I love you, mommy or daddy, we're going to go away, but don't worry, it'll be better. It'll be better for you. It's actually good for you. I mean, if you who are here who have been part of the military, like you've actually maybe had to have those conversations. And that's not how the conversation goes, right? 
But Jesus here is convinced. He's like, hey, this is actually going to be better. And the reason why it's going to be better is because instead of me being, being um, here with you, the Holy Spirit whom I will send is going to be in you. And it will be better for you. Now, when he says the, the Spirit here, he uses the word, uh, the, the word's called parakaletos. It's a Greek word. And it's translated a bunch of different ways, counselor, helper, comforter, intercessor, or advocate, and they all work. But bottom line, we know he's talking about the Holy Spirit, and we know from this other text, it's in chapter 14, just before this, we read, we read these words. Jesus says, but the counselor, i.e., the Holy Spirit, so there's no confusion who we're talking about here, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. So Jesus tries again to make this case it's going to be even better that this that this is this is what's going to happen now just a quick time out when jesus talks about the holy spirit he uses the word he not it i think sometimes we're we're we we, we talk about the holy spirit as kind of like some presence like the force like in star wars okay the holy spirit is not it he just uses he because he's as personal as a father as personal as a son so just think about that as we as you think about the holy spirit it's a he Okay, I just said it. That's not what I meant to say. You know what I mean. Pronouns. Anyway, verse 8. Help me out. Look in the word here in verse 8 because it says, When he comes, he will do what? He will what? He will convict. And he's going to convict of three things. And these are the things I want to walk through with you. Of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Let's start with sin. One of the ways, if you're wondering, hey, is the Holy Spirit working in my life? One of the ways you can tell if he's not is if you're if you are sinning and you're apathetic towards it. In other words, if you're treating someone poorly, if you're sinning against the Lord and it doesn't bother you at all, then the Holy Spirit is is not working in that part of your life. Because the reason why he is called the Holy Spirit is because he is holy, which means he's perfect, and holiness and sin are like oil and water, they don't mix. So when they come up against each other, there's going to be kind of a reaction. Help me out. What is this? You should all know. You should all have one of these. You should all know what this is. What is this? Thank you. So this is a carbon monoxide detector, right? Again, it's it's per co. You should all have at least one of these in your house. So if you don't know what this is, you need to go out today and buy one. Um, so carbon monoxide detector is meant to detect carbon monoxide, which is kind of this odorless, uh, you, it's, it's, it's a silent killer, if you would, right? Now, if you have smoke detectors, smoke detector is one thing, right? So you see smoke, uh, you can smell smoke. Sometimes there's fire, you can even, you know, like feel it. Carbon monoxide is 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 invisible. That's why we need one of these things. And so you know, if you have one of these things and it goes off, you got to open windows up. You need to get out of the house. There is something wrong that's going on. The Holy Spirit, to some extent, is kind of like a spiritual carbon monoxide detector. Okay. Because what I think the Holy Spirit does is he is able to detect things that we can try to hide in every other way, shape, or form. The way, when we sin, our sin comes from our heart. It starts with our heart motivations, and it comes into our minds, and we think about these things, and then we act on them. And we can hide our thoughts. We can hide our thoughts from other people. We can even try to hide sometimes our sins and do things in secret. The Holy Spirit, though, he, he can sense these things in our hearts, in our thoughts, in our actions, and he... Then it starts going, beep, beep. Holy Spirit says, hey, this is wrong. I mean, to be convicted of, of sin. Okay, he can expose us of our sins. 
So if you're here today and you're engaged in anything from gossip to gluttony to envy or greed or I could go on and on, right? If you're here and you're engaged in that, the Holy, if you're doing that, the Holy Spirit should be going off. Beep, beep, beep. And cause us to repent and turn from whatever that is. If, if you're engaged in those things and, and there is no beat going off, the Holy Spirit, you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your heart in that area of your life. Now, I do want to clarify something about the way the Holy Spirit convicts. This is really important. The Holy Spirit does not convict you with shame. The Holy Spirit will not convict you with shame. If you think about the first sins that took place, Adam and Eve were in the garden. Um, when they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge and good of evil, God didn't say, you should go, shame on you, you should go hide yourself. They hid, and God actually went towards them. He looks for them and asks questions. He says, where are you? He says, who told you that you were naked? He says, did you eat of the fruit of the tree? And he says, what is this that you have done? When the Holy Spirit convicts, he will convict in the same way that the Father does. He will convict in the same way that Jesus does. If you see Jesus convicting, there's a, a story, an account in the Gospel of John where he talks to this woman who was caught in adultery. And, and the Pharisees want Jesus to condemn and shame this woman and actually condemn her to death. But Jesus draws near to her, draws her near to him. And then he actually frees her from condemnation, but says, now go and sin no more. See, see the Spirit, this is really important. The Holy Spirit will not convict you in a way that will push you away from God. The Holy Spirit will convict you in a way that will push you away from sin. Okay? So if you're being convicted in a way in your life that is pushing you away from God, that is not the Holy Spirit at work. Sometimes I think we actually get the devil and the Holy Spirit mixed up. Because the devil's his deal is he loves to convict as well, but he does it through shame. He loves to tempt us towards something and say, look at what you did. That is not what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit needs to draw us near to the Father through conviction. Near to the Father and push away from him through repentance. So, number one, the Holy Spirit convicts in regard to... Did I lose you? Sin. Number two, the Holy Spirit convicts in regard to righteousness. Now, righteousness means rightness. It means um, purity, if you would. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, makes a note. He says, hey, there is nobody that's righteous. And I'm pretty sure every one of us in this room, we know this phrase, we'll complete complete this sentence. Hey, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. We've all said that, right? At some point we say, hey, I, I mean, hey, nobody's perfect. And we're right. So the question then is, how does the Holy Spirit convict us with, in regard to righteousness if we're not righteous? I think there's a couple ways to look at this. The first way I think this convicts us in regards to righteousness is this. When our, our eight-year-old little brother was convicted about the homeless folks, that's a conviction towards righteousness. To say, hey, there's something that's wrong that needs to be made right, and that's supernaturally from, the God, from God saying, hey, we're going to seek to make this right. Some of you in this room are convicted with respect to righteousness when it comes to, I don't know, racial reconciliation, when it comes to the unborn, when it comes to orphans, when it comes to those, whatever it is that you say and you look in the world and you say that's wrong and God gives it on your heart because his heart breaks for that and he's breaking your heart too. That's convicting in regards to righteousness. 
There's another way, though, that I think we're convicted in regards to righteousness. And that is that when Jesus was convicting people, um, he was convicting people in terms of righteousness over and over again. He'd go to the Pharisees because they had misguided righteousness. I'm going to use the term self-righteousness. And so Jesus was literally kind of like this broken record where he would see these Pharisees doing this stuff, where they'd go into the, they'd go and they'd, they'd, you know, on the street corners, they'd go and they'd stand so everyone could see them and pray. Okay, they'd give their money in a way so everyone could kind of see how much money they were given. They'd go uh, to the temple and say, oh, look at me. And he's like, this isn't, this isn't righteousness. This is you seeking self-righteousness. And he was like a broken record. And we see both of convictions of sin and righteousness in the parable of the prodigal son. You familiar with the parable of the prodigal son? Uh, brief recap, father's got two sons. The younger son says, I want my inheritance now, even before his dad is dead. His dad gives it to him. And his dad goes and blows it. Or sorry, he goes and blows his dad's inheritance uh, in sin. And he's sinning, he's in a pig's trough, and he's convicted by the, by the spirit, I think, to be drawn back to his father. And he goes back to his father, his father runs and meets him. That's where he's convicted of sin. But then there's this other part of the story where the older brother, he's been there the whole time. He's been doing all the right things. He hasn't gone and spent all the money in sin and all that stuff. The father comes and meets his younger brother who says, hey, we're going to hold a feast. And the older brother says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why would we do that for him, basically? And the father says, no, I'm seeking to draw you, older brother, near to me. Come into this celebration with me. And we don't know at the end of the parable whether he actually comes in or not. But Jesus is seeking to convict of righteousness in that older brother. So the Holy Spirit convicts of sin and of righteousness. Some of you in the room, perhaps for you, some of the greatest work that the Holy Spirit is seeking to do in your heart is to convict you not necessarily of sin, but of of self-righteousness. If you're here and you think, I'm a good person, that the Spirit wants to whisper to you. I know he does, because he wants to say, there's only one who's good. His name is Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're like, well, I'm good with God because I go to this gathering, or because I'm, I'm good with God because I give to charity, I volunteer my time, that is um, that's self-righteousness. And the Holy Spirit wants to turn your neck and your head and face the cross and say, no, 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 there's only one who is righteous. And it's not, it's not you, it's not me, it's Jesus. If, if, if you think that you're here and if someone asks you, hey, what happens to you when you die? And you're like, well, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good person. The Holy Spirit needs to convict you. That is not how that works. Because that is you, your self-righteousness that does not bring us into relationship with the Father. It actually pushes, pushes us away from the Father. Because we don't need Him. Because we're self-righteous. This is what this looks like as the Spirit convicts us. Now, I want to give you three stories to play these things out, quick, three quick stories. Also, kill two birds with one stone. Have you, have, you, have you heard of Sally in Chad, Africa? Have you, some of you? Okay. If you've been around for a while, you've heard of Sally. So Eric and Molly are our partners, and they're from the area. He's a doctor. They've moved to Chad, Africa. They've been serving there for some years. And Sally is one of the first followers of Jesus in the entire city uh, that they live in. And Sally has been... I mean, you want to talk about being empowered. Talk about being empowered by the Spirit of God. She's been empowered by the Spirit of God in amazing ways, miraculous things. So I just want to read you three stories about Sally that the Spirit is convicting and I think doing His work. 
and, and share them with you. One is, and this was just in the past week and a half, Molly sent this off. Last week, Sally prayed healing over a man possessed for seven years. He and his wife spent all they had on doctors. I remember this is coming from the wife of a doctor. He and his wife spent all they had on doctors and chose not to have children out of fear of passing on the demonic. Sally prayed in Jesus' name and he was healed. Amen? Isn't that awesome? It's not just these crazy miraculous things that are happening, though. There's other convictions that's happening. There's convictions of sin and righteousness. I'll give you two more stories. Convictions of sin. Here's what she writes. The, the religious leaders who administer Sharia law called Sally again. They've threatened her life a number of times. When she talks about Jesus, they say, hey, come before us. We're going to kill you or have someone kill you. She met with them for four hours, and then he told her they were going to take her to the capital city where she would be tried and killed. About a week later, one of the prominent religious leaders in town told her that if she paid him $50, um, which is not a lot of money to us, but it's a lot of money to her, um, that he could prevent her from going to the capital city. Here's her reply. She says, even if you asked me to pay you $1, I would not pay you. It's better for you to take me to the capital than for me to engage in bribery. She called him out in his sin. He was mad but speechless. No other leader has approached her about taking her to the law in the capital. I bet. Right? So, so she, Spirit's using her to help convict this man of what's sinful. But there's also conviction of righteousness. Watch this. Next story. There's a woman married to, the head religious, uh, to a head religious teacher in town who is very open to Sally and has led Sally to several of her people who want to know more about Jesus. This woman led Sally to another woman this past week, and this new seeker asked Sally how she came to faith. Sally shared this. This woman's daughter is possessed by demons, and she asked Sally if she would pray for her daughter. Sally made it known that she has no power to heal. Only God can. But she's willing to pray in Jesus' name. The seeker tries to give, tried to give Sally money at least three times, as is their custom when seeking healing. Sally refused and eventually had to be very firm. that She cannot receive money because that would be like saying she healed when only God can heal. You see how she's, being, she's convicted of righteousness. She's like, this isn't me. And uh, let's be honest, if you, if you prayed for somebody and they started healing and demons cast out, and then you have, it happened again and again, people started coming looking for you, would it not be easy to slip into kind of like, I'm kind of a big deal. Like people, she's just not, not, not taking any of that. This isn't about me. By the way, uh, that next Tuesday, she went and prayed in Jesus' name, and the, the girls, she was healed of demons. Again, this is happening over and over again. So let me ask you this question. In what ways is the Holy Spirit seeking to convict you? Convict you of sin in your life. To convict you of, of righteousness or self-righteousness. This is the work and the role of the Holy Spirit for those of us who, who trust in Jesus. Now, third thing is judgment. The Holy Spirit can convict in regards to judgment. Now, what does this mean? Well, Jesus clarifies a little bit in verse 11. He says the Holy Spirit will convict in regard to judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. See, Satan wants you to be condemned for your sins. He wants you to, to be. He wants to accuse you and then see you condemned by God the Father because he's like, if God doesn't condemn you for that, he's not a good and just judge. He's the accuser. But here's the thing. Jesus was unjustly condemned so that you and I can unjustly be declared free. I'm going to say that again. Jesus was unjustly condemned so that we could be unjustly declared free. 
And so the Spirit will convict us of judgment. What that means is we'll be able to discern what, what is true judgment from what is false judgment, which is judgment that God is using us to, by the Spirit to draw him near, and which is this false judgment of the, of the evil one who wants to draw us away from the Father. The other way that the Holy Spirit convicts us in regards to judgment is that if we're really honest, so often I think we sit in the seat of the judge ourselves. And the Holy Spirit's job is to help convict us to not be that judge because we're not the judge. About two weeks ago, I was um, in my office. I got a call from one of our sisters in Christ. And she said, hey, can I come in and share with you? Because God has done some pretty amazing things over our Lamentation series. There was some, some significant work that God had done in her heart. And so she came in, and I said, I'd love to hear. She came in, and we sat down, and I heard her story. And so after she was done, I was like, hey, so we've got this series coming up on the Holy Spirit, okay? Like, can you share this? And uh, she's like, um, from the front? And I said, yeah. She said, I don't, I don't really want to do that, um, but I'll write it out if you want to read it. And so I said, yeah, please, I want, I want our family to hear this. And so then as I was writing, or I was sharing that, and my wife always helps me process through the messages, and, and she said, you know, you should probably have a woman uh, share this and have it shared from a woman's voice. It's more powerful that way. So I asked Nancy to come up and just read uh, what this other sister shared as part of her story. So, Nancy, can you, can you bless us with reading this? As newlyweds, we were smitten and escaped on our honeymoon, excited to enjoy the sunshine and the sea. However, just days into our picturesque marriage, the sunshine faded and the darkness crept in. Why did I feel cheap? Why did I feel used? Little did I know a deep secret was in my husband's heart and it was rearing its head. The color drained from my face as I tried to process his words. I tricked you into marrying me. The magnitude of the sentence started to sink in, and I honestly wanted to vomit. Years of getting to know each other, nights of sharing our hearts, our dreams, our desires, all gone in an instant. None of it was true. My brain seemed to replay every glance, every touch, every word. I didn't know him. His pornography addiction was his bride, not me. I had been sharing his affections. I had never known. No one did. This addiction had taken over every inch of his life, his relationships, his finances, how he viewed God, how he, re- how he viewed himself. His pain spewed from inside of him and hit the target in front of him, me. There were years filled with abuse, completely devastated and empty. I saw the writing on the wall. Nothing was going to change. I had been lied to, taken advantage of, manipulated, and abused This wasn't my fairy tale. This was a nightmare. Divorce was imminent. As I walked to the stand, my chest felt tight. It was hard to breathe. There he was, the man I once loved, the monster he'd become. He had abused me freely and seemed to have no remorse. Although I was guided to the witness stand at the divorce proceedings, I longed to sit in the judge's seat. To grasp that gavel and sentenced him to what he truly deserved, he should be abused. He should be used. Life sentence, end of story. But God, in his mercy, had a different ending. After 14 years of harboring anger and bitterness, I wept openly as I sang out the words during the gathering. Lord, will you weep with me? I don't need answers. All I need is to know that you care for me. Lord, I know you hear me, I thought. My heart seemed to skip a beat. 
as the Lord whispered, I hear him too. I love him too. Could it be that man that violated me, that man that broke his vows, he deserves love? You weep with him, God? Yes, the Lord spoke every day. For the next week, I tried to put this picture out of my mind. The gavel was firmly in my grasp, and I did not want to let it go. On the following Sunday, I heard another story of abuse. However, the ending of this story was supernatural. I heard a sister recount her experience and say, I realized we had a common enemy, and that was sin. As communion began, those words seemed to echo over and over again. The common enemy was sin, not my ex-husband. Suddenly, the Holy Spirit intervened. Fourteen years of anger, hate, and bitterness seemed to melt away. I raised my hands in surrender. Take them, God. I am so sorry. I'm putting down my gavel. I have to let him go. I realized that I could not fully participate in communion until I was able to share the cup. Grace wasn't just for me. Forgiveness wasn't just for me. It was given for all, even for the man who had hurt me the most. I realized I had never been the judge. I laid down my gavel, and for the first time, I'm finally free. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Nancy. It's powerful stuff, the work of the Spirit. Powerful, what he does. See, I believe in this case, our sister was being convicted, obviously, of judgment, right? She she had a grasp on the gavel. She wanted to be the judge, but the, the Spirit's saying, saying, hey, lay that down. Lay that down. The Father is the perfect judge. So this is some of the work of the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment. But in each case, remember, the Holy Spirit is seeking to draw us near to the Father, not to push away from the Father. The, the Spirit is seeking to push us, have us push away from sin. See, for some of you, I think this is a little bit refreshing because maybe you felt burdened for a really long time. Maybe for a good chunk of your life you felt burdened by something that you've done or that you maybe should have done that you didn't do. And so you've wondered, like, maybe maybe your whole life you're pushing away from God, feeling like, hey, maybe he's an angry dad constantly looking for, for ways that you're messing everything up. Maybe you felt a little bit, when it comes to the father, like my daughter felt towards me a couple months ago. So I want to read this letter again. And this time I want you to hear it as if you were writing it to God, the Father. Dear Heavenly Father, I see that you get mad at me for every little thing. When you do this, I think this means I'm not meeting your expectations. Because of this, I feel sad and as if I'm disappointing you. So what I do as a reaction to this is start to resent you and stop talking to you. What I'd like you to do different is say I still love you. My fears about this are that I will grow up thinking I'm disappointing you. This will help our relationship by being more connected. What I can do is talk to you about it. I appreciate you for taking care of me, and I look forward to being more connected. See, this is where you're at here this morning. There's some things you need to know. It's good news. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment because he is seeking to point us, draw us near to the Father, but point us to the one who is convicted for our sin, Jesus Christ the one who is our righteousness, Jesus Christ, and the one who has taken our judgment, Jesus Christ. This is the work of the Spirit to do 
in our hearts to draw us near. See, you read this letter and say, you know, I, I, I resent you. Stop talking to you. Some of you have done that. That is not the work of the Spirit. The Spirit is to draw us near. Say, hey, I, I just want you to say, what I want you to do different is say, I still love you. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is the way that God the Father says, I love you over and over and over and over and over again. And then Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit can continually draw near to the Father and be connected to Him. So what I want to do is I want to pray. And I just want to give you a minute or two. Max and, and Jen and Nick are going to come back up. And, and just as they play a little instrumental, I want to give you a couple minutes just to, to spend some time. Let the Spirit speak. I want to ask Him to speak. That, that maybe He's been seeking to convict you in one of these ways. And that you would respond to that. Because it's not going to always be easy. It's not always going to be convenient when the Spirit convicts. But it's going to be powerful change that draws us near to God the Father. So let me pray, and then I'm going to give you a couple minutes. Gracious Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. That he is in us. It's even greater than walking with your Son Jesus is, is the Spirit who empowers us. He convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. Lord, I pray that now you would speak to us. Not just now, but in this every day, that you'd help us have ears to hear your Spirit as he seeks to draw us near to you, Father. Help us to hear. Give us ears. We pray this in Christ's name.